welcome. I'm Jillian Raymond, the co-creator of Juicy Bits and a Coalition Snow ambassador. And I'm Joan Gorecki, your co-host and the CEO of Coalition Snow. For those of you who are with us in Season 1, we are glad you're back. For those of you who are new, get ready to laugh, cry, and maybe pee your pants a little. Juicy Bits is all about taking conversations that we start on the chairlift and at the trailhead and even at the dinner table and bringing them to you bi-monthly for productive, meaningful conversations that explore alternative narratives to the conventional dialogue about what it means to be a woman in modern society. Grab your helmet because sometimes it's a bumpy ride. FYI, this podcast is for mature audiences, so you've been warned. Let's get to work and juice the patriarchy. Hey, everyone. It's Jen Gorecki. Uh, Super excited to have Sensi Graves on this episode of Juicy Bits. Now, for those of you who don't know who Sensi Graves is, shame on you. Um, She's a fantastic, incredible woman who kind of got her start in the outdoor industry in kiteboarding and has since then launched Sensi Graves bikinis and is up to a whole lot of really interesting stuff. And that's what we're going to talk to her about today. Um, Sensi, welcome. Thank you so much, Jen. I'm super stoked to be here. Yeah. So for for those um, for our listeners who maybe don't know that much about you, can who who are you? What what are you doing? <laughs> yes, I am a multifaceted human being, like so many people out there. But my main focuses are on empowering women in water sports, and I do that a couple of different ways. I'm a professional kiteboarder, and so I travel around the world competing in different competitions, doing photo shoots, supporting the brands that I ride for. And then I'm also the founder of Sensi Graves Bikinis, which is my swimwear line where it's our mission to empower women in water sports by giving them the confidence that they need to go out there and do all the fun stuff that they love and giving them the swimwear that they can rely on. And so my whole deal is just empowering women to get out there feeling good in their bodies and supporting this planet that we love and making sure people feel connected to themselves and to nature. And so it's a it's a fun passion of mine to live life large and outdoors and trying to do the best I can over here in my small corner of the internet. Sometimes that can feel daunting, I'm it's- sure. Super dotty. <laughs> well, let's get into that in a minute. But I, I want to first talk about this kiteboarding thing because, so, okay, so just so everyone knows, Sensi and I first met um, in September of 2018 at a Title IX pitch fest event at the Title IX headquarters in the Bay Area. And I had never heard of Sensi because I'm obviously old and a loser. So I got to meet her then. But then that's when I first got to know about know about you and hear about your story. And one of the things that I thought was fascinating about your trajectory in kiteboarding was that this wasn't something that you had done your entire life. It it seems like one day you decided you would kiteboard, so then you did it, and then you turned into a pro, which is probably a very uh, condensed and inaccurate version of your story. But can you can you talk to us like how you got into kiteboarding and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, totally. It is a funny story because I didn't start kiteboarding until I was 20 years old, which is it's pretty late to do anything professionally at all. But kiteboarding is a really young sport. I mean, we've only been around for about three decades now. And so the kiteboarding in the US and especially the type of kiteboarding that I do, which is park style riding. So 
just like you have rails and jumps in snowboarding and in wakeboarding, we have those floating in the water that we hit with our with our kites. And so it's a very niche discipline. It's very small. And there aren't a lot of women that, that do it. And so when I first started, I was in college and my dad actually took my, I have three brothers and he took my three brothers and I out to North Carolina. He's like, we're going kiteboarding. He always does this kind of random stuff. And I'm like, what? I've never even heard of this sport. What are we, what are we doing? <laughs> and we went out to North Carolina for a week and learned to kiteboard. And I loved it. I absolutely, I've always been into board sports. I've always been a big athlete. I'm super competitive. As I said, I have three brothers and we're always doing two on two everything and competing with one another. And so it was very much this awesome, new, exciting adventure that I was like, this is a rad sport. You're on the water. You're riding a twin tip. It's something I've totally identified with. However, I went back to college and didn't really kiteboard that much after that for the next two years because I was in school and I had kept in touch with the kiteboarding school that I had learned at called Real Water Sports in North Carolina. And we actually had done did two family trips with them um, to the BVIs. And so we went to the Caribbean for a week and I had just learned to stay up wind, which means you're kind of you're able to get back from where you launched from. So if you launch off a beach, staying up wind means you can land back at that same beach instead of having to go downwind somewhere and land somewhere else. And so it's just the basics of, okay, you're kind of a semi-self-sufficient kiteboarder at that point. Anyway, the school that Real I learned at, I they were looking for coaches. This is in my junior year of college. And I was like, that sounds like an awesome summer job. I know how to stay up wind. I think I could do it. And so I applied to be a kiteboarding coach and, and long story short, moved out to North Carolina for the summer in between my junior and senior year. And from that point on, it was full immersion in the sport, eat, sleep, drink, kiteboarding. I met my boyfriend who still continues to be my boyfriend to this day, nine years later, and uh, just absolutely fell in love with, with the whole culture and the whole community. Went back to school, graduated, moved back to North Carolina. And from then on, it was just chasing endless summer and, and endless kiteboarding. So do you feel like you were able to progress so quickly in the sport because you dedicated so many hours to it? I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are maybe familiar with Malcolm Gladwell's theory that we mm. need to have 10,000 hours to dedicate towards something to become an expert on it. Is it because you had dedicated so much time? Do you feel like you are a natural athlete? Because I think for a lot of people, even the thought of doing something time and time again wouldn't necessarily mean that they would able they would be able to rise to a professional level. So what was sort of that special mix for you? Great question. Honestly, in the beginning, I was very intimidated by it. And I didn't think, oh, I'm going to be a professional kiteboarder. This is something I want to really pursue. Actually, at that time, I was starting my business as well. And so it was very much I'm starting this bikini company to empower women in water sports and empower kiteboarders and and something that it's something I need and want to serve other women out there. I want something that stays put while I'm kiteboarding. And because I was kiteboarding so much, it was kind of a natural, there were competitions happening in North Carolina that, that were open. And I was like, okay, I'm going to compete because the community that I was in was very much, you can do it, go compete, awesome, try. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll try. And so honestly, it was kind of a, whoa, okay, I'm good enough that I could, if I put enough time into it, make this something that could 
could support me and become a professional, um, which is certainly the case. But it's also definitely athleticism and then a, a belief in what I wanted to do and a belief in myself, mm-hmm. which has taken a long time to cultivate, mm-hmm. both through the business and as an athlete. It's just really believing that you can do something. And I, I totally think that that opens up everything in your life. Well, and it sounds like you even had the support of your family too. So it was your father who was taking you to even start doing this and to have to have that role model and to have that person in your life to say, I support you in doing this. Without him, you may not have ever gotten into the sport, right? Exactly. And the funny thing is, Jen, maybe not that funny, <laughs> but my mom actually died when I was 16. Oh, okay. And I think, and she was a super badass. She was on the cover of Ski Magazine in okay. 1981. So she was a really badass skier and all around athlete and has totally um, formed the idea of what it means to be a strong woman in my mind. And I, I think as a result of her death, my dad went into this kind of, you know, something to fill the void. And and I don't think that I would be a kiteboarder if, if it hadn't been for her passing. And so that's kind of an interesting, you know, you never know where something's going to lead. And mm-hmm. actually I saw a speech by Mark Randolph, who's the co-founder of Netflix recently. And he said, nobody knows anything. Like, you don't know if your business is going to succeed or where you're going to go or if anything is, nothing's proven until you actually try and do it. And so you can take all the input and all the feedback that that's out there and available to you. But unless you actually try something, you're never going to know what happens. It's true. You have to, at some point you just have to go for it. You have to be willing to take that risk and know that failure might be in your future, but then you're just right. If, if I always look at it, if you fail, you're just right back where you started from. So yeah, it's not really a loss. <laughs> so. No, it's not at all. It's a hard concept to, right. to, to come to terms with because failure is something that I think our society really ah, has a negative view on. And, and also, I mean, I'm, like I said, I'm a competitor. I'm super competitive and losing to me is not great. Like I'm a sore loser and it's something that I've really had to come to terms with that. No, everything's growth and everything is a learning experience. And just because you lose or fail at something you're right. I mean, it's, it'll lead you to something greater and every experience is a learning opportunity and every challenge is an opportunity in general. Mm-hmm. So what, what are you more afraid of failing as a competitive athlete or failing a business? Ooh, Ooh. great question. Mm. I think failing as a competitive athlete is more core in, uh, in my limiting beliefs currently. It's something that I've had to deal with getting over not being, not performing well is, is something that's, it's outside. I feel like it's looking, people are looking at you and I put a lot of weight on not being first. And it's something I've really had to work through. And so that feels more to me, it feels scarier. Mm -hmm. Uh, And as I said, it's something I've really had to work through because you can, you know, competition is so in the moment and anything can happen. Um, and business failure, it's a really interesting question as well, because there's so much more riding on it. I mean, for my business, I have tons of money in, 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 you know, Mm -hmm. you're in production and Mm -hmm. all of your money is going into your product and Mm -hmm. you're like, okay, (laughs) I have, now I got to sell this thing. So there's a lot more riding on it, but it thinking about that, no one's asked me that question before and thinking about it, it feels scarier to lose publicly as a competitor than it does within what feels to be my creation of my business. But certainly the consequences are much higher 
and the business side. So, right. Uh, well, and that's interesting though, because at, at some level, every single athlete ages out. Yeah. And, and it's not to say that women or men or humans, any person can't continue to be an exceptional athlete into their forties, fifties, sixties. It's just that at some point youth, like young people come up and they, they are sometimes faster and stronger and push the limits. And then also with age, we get broken. And, you know, so I'm not trying Mm -hmm. to make some sort of comment that as we age, we shouldn't be considered athletes, but there's also, um, sort of a, a reality of how long you can continue to push your body and then what it means when you, you know, younger generations are coming into a sport. So it's, it's interesting that you're more afraid of failing on the competitive side because that absolutely has some sort of horizon. You know, there's, there's a sunset oh. that's coming there, whereas the business could potentially be something that, that you grow and grow and have for your entire life. Yeah. And that's really funny that you bring that up because it actually phasing out something that I've been thinking about lately because I I just turned 30 Mm -hmm. not that that's old at all. And I don't feel old, but I do want to have kids Mm -hmm. and thinking about the next, I'm like, okay, when would I want that to happen? And does that mean, I don't, that doesn't mean I have to stop competing by any, by any means. I mean, I can't remember the name of that. Try maybe it was a uh, super triathlete competitor, but Anyway, she had a baby and bounced right back and went on to win something. It was super impressive. However, thinking about what my life I would want to look like, do I want to keep competing for the next five years? Well, not really. I want to cultivate different things in the sport and do more media production and do more inspiring content. And so for me, competing, because I think internally so much rides on it, I'm just like, whew, maybe I should <laughs> maybe I should phase out. Phase out yeah. But yeah. But here's the thing within our sport, we've been the women in our discipline. As I said, we're in a really niche discipline. Park riding of kiteboarding is very small and we don't have that many female competitors. This year is the first year. Super stoked. We actually have equal prize money for this big competition that I have coming up. That's huge. It's called the triple S. It's huge. I mean, there's 12 grand for first place, men and women. Wow. So it's, it's not, it's a significant amount of money. And this year is the first year for equal prize money. However, we don't, we have t- 10 female competitors to the men's 24 and looking down the pipeline, there aren't that many younger female athletes within our discipline that are coming up. And I feel a responsibility to continue to push the sport forward because I want to show more women doing it and I want to empower more women to get into it. But I'm also concerned with who's going to come up behind us and kind of continue to carry on the torch. And maybe that'll just happen naturally, but I feel a responsibility to continue competing and I'm still super competitive and, and still very much at the top of my game. Mm-hmm. But I feel like, oh, shoot, what are we going to do when, in, in the next couple of years? I want to, I do really consider phasing out of competing mm-hmm. and who's going to come up behind me and how do I continue pushing the sport without abandoning it? And that's the question in my mind that keeps coming up is, is that abandoning it? If I, if I lessen the field, are we going to, are we doing a disservice to, to other women and how can we continue? We've been fighting for equal, equal prize money. We finally got it. Right. But if I drop off, and who's going to come up behind? Well, yeah. So it's, it's interesting. So I, I had this conversation with um, Jackie Paso. She's a professional skier in the free ride world tour. And, and she's in the process of phasing out of her career now. And, and partly because she's married and looking to have a family and just, mm. you know, it's, sometimes it's better to, um, to phase out than it is to 
continue to compete and not be where you want to be or not be fully in it because to win, you have to be fully in it. It's a physical and Mm -hmm. a mental thing. So if you're feeling yourself Mm -hmm. starting to pull out of it, that's, that's a, a sign. And one of the things she and I talked about was how important it is to get a good therapist. So mm. <laughs> because transitioning <laughs> transitioning from being a professional athlete and then going to being a regular human being, I'm air quoting regular human being right now, uh, <laughs> it actually is, is really difficult. And a lot of athletes go through significant depression and they, they fumble and they struggle to sort of find, you know, where is their place in, in the world and, And it might seem, I mean, and it really is just because any sort of major transition that you go through in your life, you need a lot of support. So that's just, that's just, that's my my free advice to you is just get a therapist. They're not free. (laughs) Therapists are not free, but my (laughs) advice is, but let me, let me ask you this. So if, if you're concerned that there's not enough young women coming up in the sport, why is that? What what are the barriers or, or what's going on that you're not seeing more women getting into the sport, particularly when one of the reasons why women don't compete is that financially they cannot. The prize money isn't the same. They don't get the same support from sponsors. So, so they're in this financial predicament that sets them apart and, and away from the sport in a way that men don't don't face. But it sounds like that's not something that your particular sport is experiencing. So why are women not getting into it? It's gotten a lot better for sure. We definitely have more prize money now. Like I said, we're getting equal prize money this year and the media representation has started to shift. It's certainly much more male dominated still. Right. Now the question is different because we're in a super specific discipline um, as I said, the kiteboarding overall is a much bigger sport, and there's all these different other disciplines. Freestyle kiteboarding, for instance, which is um, listeners can Google it, but mm-hmm. you do unhooking, doing tricks. That is that's doing great. There's tons of younger women in it. A lot more women kiteboarding overall. Female kiteboarding has totally grown, and I've seen that a lot over the last couple of years. It's totally specific to our discipline. And honestly, I think the lack of women, and I honestly, I think it's because access is a little bit harder. Mm -hmm. There aren't that, and it's really intimidating. Our discipline, you have to have features in the water park features and it's costly. Mm -hmm. And there aren't that many places in the world that have it in the U S there's only two slider parks. Mm -hmm. And so if you're not in hood river or in North Carolina, you can't even try. And so I think that is probably the biggest, the biggest barrier to entry is just access to it. Mm -hmm. And then the intimidation factor. And so thinking about how to deal with that is interesting because there are so many more guys in it and, and guys filling up the ranks. And so for me, it's just trying to lessen the intimidation and inviting women out to try it and inspiring the next generation. So this summer we're actually doing like a free come learn to hit the rails day. So it'll be open to both men and women. And it's anyone that wants to come into our park and actually just try and do it for the first time. Because as I said, it's super intimidating and there's not really a bunny hill. It's like all the pros are in the area. Mm-hmm. We have five features in the water and everyone's kind of swamped on those things. And so we have access here, but it, it's certainly intimidating. And so that's one way that I'm trying to cultivate more women into our specific discipline but overall, kiteboarding and for women, it's, it's growing and it's mm-hmm. doing great. Yeah. 
I have yet, I haven't done it yet. I actually, in a lot of the time that I spend in, in Kenya, sometimes I get to the coast and there's quite a bit of kiteboarding that's happening on the coast of Kenya off of Diani beach. I don't know if you've ever thought about no. going there. It, there. So obviously there's no features. It's the ocean, cool. but there's a big, there's a lot of kiteboarding happening and it's looks really fun. And then also sometimes I think I just want to lie on the beach and watch them do it, which is what I do. <laughs> but yeah. you should come up to the river. I'll teach you. I'm not against that. I'm not against that at all. <laughs> Although I am one of those 40 year olds with a broken body. So there's sometimes when I think about getting hurt again, that's probably the biggest thing where I say like, yeah, no, I'm good. Uh, I don't need to go through ACL surgery again, or it's just, it's a lot. It's a lot to get hurt and then think about getting hurt again. Although I'm clearly not afraid of getting hurt like death with these bike rides that I do across Africa and Nepal and places. So I don't know, maybe I should just get over it and come visit you. You should. I mean, the thing is, I think a lot of people think, oh, I need to be super strong to do it. And it's really extreme and intense. And you don't, I mean, you have a harness around your waist and that is taking, burying the load Mm -hmm. of the kite Mm -hmm. and it's really a finesse sport. So honestly, women learn a lot quicker than men because they're not trying to muscle it so much. It's just controlling the kite. And so certainly in the beginning, you'll be swallowing a ton of water, but you can take it super mellow. And now with foil boarding, you can be going, we're just like floating on the water and totally feeling like you're flying and it's really low impact on the body and just totally a moving meditation. Oh, I like the sound of this. Okay. I'm going to look, yeah. like <laughs> look at my calendar when we get off of this, but, but uh, I, I digress. So you're trying to get more people involved in, in the sport. And, and one of the things that's really important to you is empowering women. And, and I assume that this is what led to the creation of your company, Sensi Graves Bikinis, right? Exactly. So, so tell us about that. As, as soon as I was coaching kiteboarding, so in college, I moved out to North Carolina to, to coach kiteboarding and I was in the water every single day. And literally my bikini was my uniform. I would wear a bikini top and bikini bottom under my t-shirt and board shorts. And so I'd be on a jet ski for seven hours a day coaching. And then I would either go kiteboarding afterwards or go surfing. And so I was living on the beach and I was in a swimsuit every single day. And I quickly became fed up with the options on the market. At that time, 2011, there were only really the really performance pieces, but Honestly, I thought they were very frumpy and nothing was designed for a young female athlete. Mm-hmm. So the Pranas and the Patagonias and stuff that just was designed more moderately and, in my opinion, wasn't super flattering. Mm-hmm. That's changed. A lot of companies are doing great things now. And then on the other side of the coin, there were the Roxy and the Billbongs of the world that at that time were just very skimpy, really weren't performance oriented, were super cute and had fun patterns and were very on trend. But it didn't make me feel great. It didn't make me feel really empowered. It didn't make me feel like I could go out and just do anything. I felt like, ah, I have to always be adjusting what I'm wearing. And I wanted something that I could feel good enough in to go and it would support my active lifestyle, something that I wouldn't outperform and something that was also really on trend and made me feel really confident and good in my body because it was beautiful and was comfortable and it was nicely Mm -hmm. designed. (laughs) And so when I couldn't find that on the market, I thought, this is ridiculous. I'm going to make it myself. And I started dabbling in it. And there were a few women 
that had come to real that were acted as my mentors who were very successful themselves and own their own companies. And I became friends with them. And they said, Sensi, this is something you got to do. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and as soon as I said, I'm going to start a bikini brand, it was like, go time. Once I said, it, I was like, okay, I said, I'm going to do it. Now I, now I need to follow through. And I went to school for communications. I got my degree in communications. And so I said, I had no design background, no business background. And it was really just a matter of, all right, what's the next step that's going to get me down this path to making an awesome brand that supports women in water sports, empowers people to go out there and do what they love and looks and feels amazing. So this is interesting to me because when we started Coalition Snow, it was the same thing. Like we, we saw that there was this problem and we decided we want to solve it and we didn't have this history or this experience in designing skis or snowboards, but that didn't stop us. We, we felt, you know, we are, you know, we're, we're experts, we're expert skiers and snowboarders. We understand our equipment. We understand the performance, the experience that people want to have. Same thing as you, I I said, I was going to do it. And then I went down the path. What happened after that was something that I hadn't quite expected, which was the number of people who thought we couldn't do it because we didn't go to school for it or we weren't professionally trained. And so I'm curious if you experienced any of that. I'll you know, nicely use the word feedback, even though that's not really what I would call those things um, in terms <laughs> of you're someone who didn't have this background in design, you didn't have a business back background. How did people perceive or receive you with saying, I'm, I'm now going to make performance wear, which in, in the form of bikinis and one pieces and rash guards and, and things like, like that? Like how, what was your experience in that sense? Honestly, Jen, this is going to go maybe way off what you expect, but I didn't experience any negative oh, feedback good. at all. Actually, I yeah, it, it's interesting to think about that now because looking back, it could have easily been like, whoa, what are you doing? Honestly, I think what I what I was viewing everything with the lens through and what really inhibited me for the first, I don't know, three or four years of my business even was my personal mm-hmm. belief that I could do it. I had to really work through, I, I know what I'm doing. I'm capable of doing this. Because I didn't have that design background, I really stumbled along through teaching myself in design and illustrator and trying to make product. And, you know, I was doing it on a shoestring budget and I was just doing what I could, but I didn't fully believe that it was something that was really going to make an impact or a difference or that I was capable of doing it or that I was someone that was worthy of doing it or was doing enough. And so for me, it was working through my own personal belief system of, no, this is a rad product. Right. <laughs> no, you right. are a badass. No, you are allowed to tell the story and you are allowed to say that this product is amazing. And the first couple of years of stumbling through, well, going through prototyping and, and having pieces that didn't come out perfectly and having to deal with that and having to rectify in my own brain of, it's okay to make mistakes along the way. And yeah, it's public. And now you're trying to sell these pieces and it's okay. <laughs> it's okay that not everyone mm-hmm. loves it. <laughs> you know, it's not going to work for everyone. I going to serve everyone, but the people we do serve, we serve super well. And the message we are putting across does resonate with, with our community and with our women. And so for me, it was, I'm the one that was holding mm-hmm. myself back which I think is, is an interesting thing. And so a lot of what I like to teach now is 
self-confidence, self-love, self-belief, and that you can do anything, but you got to believe it right. yourself. Well, and, and so many times we just, you know, we think we're imposters, right? Like we, the minute that we start mm. doing really well, we think to ourselves, oh no, this isn't me. I can't be this good. I can't mm-hmm. know these things. I can't be successful. I'm supposed to not, I'm, I'm supposed to be less than my best self. And that, that is uh, mm-hmm. very difficult and, and pervasive internal thought that you have to work through in business, definitely, but in 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 any way that we push ourselves is to to get over that that negative self talk and just not believing that we're able to do it uh, because no one else is really going to believe in you as much as you are going to believe in yourself and the thing that you create. So if if you're not there one hundred percent behind it, how are other people going to follow? Exactly. Yeah. It's a interesting thing to learn. And it's funny that it took me so long to learn it. And finally I was like, what am I doing? I actually have a story. The first, oh, probably three, at least three, if not four years of my business, I had, I had obviously my URL and things were going well. And I was like, okay, I'm killing it. But I, I still had my Gmail as my mm. email account. So like the, the email that I would send out to people and the email that I had printed on my business cards was my Gmail account. And then one day I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> Why don't I have Sensi at SensiGraceBikinis.com? Yeah. Are you, ins- yeah. And it was that little thing that you're just like, whoa, this is something that's kind mm-hmm. of holding me back and I'm not fully stepping into it here. And that was a, a very apparent sign that I wasn't fully stepping into my belief or my, my acceptance of, of what mm-hmm. I could do. So was, that's a, a visceral thing. So I would just say to the listeners, keep an eye out for that kind of stuff that's actually holding you back because, yeah, you really got to believe in yourself to get anywhere. Yeah, that's, yeah, I, I'm not good enough to have a proper email. This, is, this isn't real, everybody, because it's, I'm going to use my Gmail. So if it doesn't work out, I'm telling you in advance, it's not real by using the Gmail. But the minute you use a company account, then it becomes real. And then there's that pressure that it has to perform. Absolutely. Yeah. But I was, I mean, it was very much real Mm -hmm. in every other sense. I had, you know, I had my business cards, I had the website, everything was running, but it was that one little thing. And I was like, this is a a clear sign and I need to Mm -hmm. work on this. Are there any other little things that you've noticed along the way that you had to, had to shift in order to fully embrace the business side of things? Believing that I could be a competitive athlete and have Mm -hmm. a business, believing that I could do both and that it was okay to, to do both and that that it was okay to have cultivate both things. And sometimes in the beginning, I was like, gosh, if I chose, maybe, maybe if I just chose one path, it would be better because then I could a hundred percent focus on that one thing. But honestly, that both things support each other so well. And I really enjoy both. And so it wasn't ever like, Oh, I'm, I want to, I want to have to make that decision. I was like, no, I'm allowed to do both. It's okay. I can make, I can forge my own Mm -hmm. path here. (laughs) I don't have to just be an athlete. I don't have to just be a kiteboarder. I don't have to just be a business owner. Right. I can do both. Well, no, and they really speak to one another too. I would imagine that the business has been bolstered because of 
because you are a professional athlete. And so there's definitely the street cred there in terms of this woman knows what it is that she's doing when it comes to designing a product that specifically meets the needs of women who are recreating in the water. I mean, they, they really lend, lend themselves to one another, right? Totally. And that for sure, you said the right word, credibility, credibility. That's for sure giving me credibility. And in the, well, okay, actually, here's another example of something that didn't fully come into my power in was the name of the brand is obviously Sensi Graves mm-hmm. Bikinis. In the beginning, when I very first launched, I just called it Sensi. I wanted it to be like Roxy mm-hmm. or Chanel, just one word. I love my name, but I didn't want to be the face of the brand. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I know it's comical at this point. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I was, you know, 22, just turned to 23 when I launched, and I didn't want to. That wasn't my intention going going right. for it. <laughs> but um, like a year in, actually. The, there's a sandal company called Sensi and they contacted me and because we're in the same trademark classification, oh. this is something I didn't do my due diligence on. They said, Hey, you can't just use this. Our name is Sensi. You can't use this name. And I was like, Oh, but they said I could use Sensi Graves. And so then I had to change the business name to Sensi Graves. And then I had to come to terms with the fact that, okay, who is Sensi Graves? Why is the business called Sensi Graves? Who am I to be this person? And so that really forced me to say, oh, well, okay, maybe I should be the face of this company. And what does that look like? And what does that mean? And once again, coming to the belief that I do have a lot to offer and I do want to spread this message and it's okay to show up mm-hmm. in that way. And so the first couple couple years, I wasn't the face, but then very, yeah, very quickly it became apparent, hey, the story behind the brand is this person that wanted a product that needed to meet their super active outdoor lifestyle and that's what's going to resonate with the community. And very much so today, it's all about my story and why I started the company and how we support women in water sports. And that is through showing how to do things, <laughs> encouraging other women and creating a product that they mm-hmm. can rely on. Well, and if you had never had that setback of essentially receiving a cease and desist, which by the way, I have I have received one from the Girl Scouts of America, which is always a very interesting when you get that letter. What? So, yeah, and, and it's it's same exact same thing. It's we we had to change the name. So when we when we first launched our magazine, so the magazine now is called Sisu mm. Magazine. But when we originally came up with the idea to do the magazine, we wanted to call it Scout Magazine. And so mm. we had filed mm. a trademark and I'd actually checked and there there wasn't another uh there wasn't another magazine in category 16, which is pub publications. And so I filed it. And then within two weeks, the Girl Scouts of America sent us a cease and desist from their attorney and essentially said that they owned everything that had to do with women and the outdoors and the name Scout. No way. way. And so at that point, I decided there's decisions to make, right? Do you fight the trademark because you know that technically you should be able to have it because the Girl Scouts of America can't own everything? And clearly, anything that I do has nothing to do with little girls or cookies. I mean, obviously, right? <laughs> um, maybe that was their concern. But um, um, so do, do you fight it? 
do you do you just shut down shop? What what do you do? It's it's a pretty big deal for for someone to come to you and say you can't use that name anymore. And so we decided that we were going to change the name and, and spent some time looking for a different name that would be very unique to what it was that we were doing. And that's how we came up with the name Sisu, which is it's a Finnish term that embodies the spirit of grit, guts, and perseverance. And looking back on it, we're really grateful that we received that cease and desist because we like Sisu better. We, we think Sisu is a, is a stronger name than Scout anyways. And it sounds like that is very similar for your experience as, as well, where it forced you to recognize this very critical piece in your business, which is you are the brand and you are the person behind it. And so if you're not front and center, then who is? Because everything about business these days is about the connection and having these experiences with real people. And so who, who would have been the face and, and, and how would you have been able to connect with people if you hadn't been essentially forced to step into that role? Exactly. It's really interesting when you look back at stuff and think, gosh, that was such a big deal Mm -hmm. at the time. And I was so stressed about it. And really, truly everything is a learning experience and everything Mm -hmm. is meant to be. It really is. And you just have to decide to keep going, right? You have to look at those setbacks and say, okay, well, I'm going to sort this out today and I'm going to keep moving on. It's when you choose to let a setback actually hold you back is, is when, um, when you run into problems. Yeah. And that goes back to that Mm self-belief thing. I actually have a little card on my desk from my business coach that says, keep going. Because it's easy to get overwhelmed in business. It's easy to get overwhelmed in life. Like being a human is hard. And so, (laughs) but you're right. If you give up, I mean, you're not going to get, you're not going to get where you want to go. And so if you can just continue on through those, through those challenges and through those quote unquote setbacks, then you're going to do great things. And just enjoying the process has been really another, another thing that I've been focused on, focusing on. It's like, okay, well, yeah, I'm, growing my business and I'm having fun doing it. And let me enjoy that and everything that comes up with that because otherwise what's this end goal that I'm really mm-hmm. trying to get to. And I, if I get there, I'm sure I'm going to have another goal out ahead of that. So let's just focus on the day-to-day enjoyment of it and what's getting yeah. me stoked. I have a card on my desk that I'm looking at right now that says, be the light, be the motherfucking light. I love, I love that. <laughs> be the motherfucking light um okay i have i have i have one more question for you yes what would your mom think of you today oh i think she would be proud i i really do i think she would just be super proud and i mean this is bringing tears to my eyes especially as we come into mother's day but and i think acknowledging that and saying yeah i'm making my mom proud is just something that cultivates your self-love and, and, and self-belief and saying I am enough and I'm doing enough and acknowledging that. And I also try and spread the motherfucking mm-hmm. light all the time. And I think that comes mm-hmm. across. And um, one of my affirmations is I'm an inspiration. And honestly, Jen, I took that off my affirmation list because I was like, I checked that one off. I'm a, I am mm-hmm. an inspiration, you know, I'm killing it. And so I actually don't even feel the need to say that anymore because I feel like I'm bringing a lot of good to the world and I'm doing the best job I can. And 
that I think is something to be super proud of. And uh, I know my mom's looking down at me and just being really stoked. I'm sure she is. I'm sure she is. So if people want to find out more about you, about the bikinis, about some of the kiteboarding workshops that you're putting on, where can people find out more about you? Excellent. SensiGraysBikinis.com is my hub for all things bikinis. Our Instagram is SensiBikinis. My personal Instagram is SensiGraves. And then you touched on my women's kiteboarding camps, which we didn't talk about, but I do put on women's kiteboarding camps as well. And we're actually going through a rebrand right now. Currently, our website is Sensi and Colleen, S-E-N-S-I and Colleen, C-O-L-L-E-E-N.com which is my best friend and I, but we're going through a rebrand and it's now going to be strut kiteboarding, S-T-R-U-T, strut. And so, yeah, I'm really excited about that because it's an empowering word and the strut is the part of the kite that holds the the structure of the kite together. So those are all the places you can find me and I hope that you guys will come visit my little corner of the internet, as I said, and keep doing great things over here, Jen. Thank you. Well, you are too. And I just want to thank you for taking time to be on the show today. It's been a pleasure to be able to talk to you and reconnect with you. And also just want to give a shout out to Title IX for creating these spaces where women can come together and build these friendships and these business relationships because if it wasn't for them, you and I would have never met well not never but we would not have recently met in person so just thank you for for being here and for all of our listeners if there is anyone else out there in the world who you think that we should be interviewing or that you want to hear from definitely reach out to us you can send us a message at juicy bits at coalition snow and if you have any other feedback air quotes positive negative otherwise constructive we want to hear from you All right, everyone, that's it for this show. And coming up in the next episode will be a recap of some of our favorite moments from season two that Jillian is putting together. So get excited for that. And Sensi, thanks again for being on the show. Thank you, Jen.